salvation and the name of Nashbury to Rebecca. Rebecca, in her own hand, uh, we receive you this morning. Thank you. James, we love you. I love you. Oh, this I is a man too. of God, let me tell you. And uh, I ask every single one of us, come with an open mind and an open heart to receive what the Lord Jesus is going to do through you this morning. Oh, Amen. Thank you, Have your way with us. <laughs> well, hello, everyone. How are you all doing? Okay, this night seems to be alive. How are you all doing? <laughs> good, good, good. Well, I bring you greetings from Manchester, as you heard. I'm a family man, so, you know, very little sleep. And uh, <laughs> sometimes when I travel, people ask me, do you, have co do you drink coffee? I only drink coffee when I need to stay awake. And that's often when I'm driving, and I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm, you know, I've got a nine-year-old, a three-year-old, and a nine-month-old. So, <laughs> the three-year-old and the nine-month-old make life a bit more intense than you, even the nine-year-old as well. Anyway, so it's great to be with you today. I bring you greetings from Manchester, where God lives. <laughs> My parents are missionaries. So, um, moved to Manchester in uh, 2001. I was born in Liberia. My dad is from Nigeria. Any Nigerians in the house? Oh, yay! Oh, good, 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 good. Uh, my mom is from Ghana. Any Ghanaians in the house? No. Oh, yeah, there's one there. Yay! <laughs> so my dad is from Nigeria. My mom is from Ghana. I was born in Liberia. I live in Manchester. My wife is from Stockport. There you go. <laughs> Today we're going to be looking at a few scriptures. So if you go your Bible starts, we ask that you would awaken us, uh, that your word would not just bring revelation, but transformation. Let there be an impartation of a spirit of grace and supplication today. Lord, give me utterance to communicate your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And this is uh, what Jesus said. <clears throat> this is a famous uh, verse. Many of you will know this. Uh, Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And uh, Peter answered and said, you are Christ, the son of the living God. Uh, and then Jesus turns around and says, in fact, let's start from verse 17. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jesus answered and said to Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. Just pause there. Jesus says to Simon, Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. That means you can receive a dimension of revelation from the flesh. That means you can receive a dimension of insight from flesh. So Jesus is saying to Peter, what you've just received there did not come from flesh. The 21st century church has got accustomed to flesh revelations. Copy and paste. The fact that it worked in America and it worked in Australia does not mean it's going to work in Derby. When we want to do things in alignment with God's order, we have to receive from Him. Okay, now, as we read on, you see a few things that Jesus says um, that really helps us to evaluate what we call church today. Because I'm convinced that many of us in the Western church have subscribed to a version of church, and the way we do church is actually a perversion of God's original intent. 
So Jesus is saying to Peter, that insight, that revelation you just got did not come from man. It came from my Father who is in heaven. And do you know as a believer, you have the privilege and the right to receive from your Father who is in heaven? I believe it says of John the Baptist, he was a voice crying out in the wilderness. John was not an echo, he was a voice. Meaning, to be a voice, he had to be an ear. He had to live in a way where he was close to the heart of God. He could discern and he could pick up the the whispers of the heart of God. And because he could hear God's heart, God could make him a voice. A long time before he became a voice, he had to live out the message. I don't know if I'm a bit too loud. If you don't mind, just bring me down a little bit because I might shout and might be, be, it might be uncomfortable. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, I'm just prepping you so you don't all get blown up. By the way, it's probably going to get intense in a few moments. So just buckle your seatbelt. And this is a disclaimer or this is just FYI. I'm not mad at you. I'm not upset. Honestly, speak to me after the service. I'm a really nice guy. (laughs) But when I'm up here and I'm speaking, it often tends to get intense because I feel God's burden for the church and the version of things we've bought into that's actually the work of the enemy distracting us. And we're going to see some more in a few moments. So uh, John, before he was able to preach the message, he had to live the message. What caused John's message to have the impact it did such that people were coming out into the wilderness and repenting of their sins? What caused his message to have that impact was not his preaching skills. It wasn't his marketing skills, his social media skills, his worship leading skills, his oratory ability. There was nothing in the natural that made John have the impact he had. All that... All that was significant to John was the fact that he had been with God, he had heard God, and he had lived out the message God gave him. And so when his mouth was finally able to articulate the life he had been living, heaven backed him and conviction came on the nation. I'm telling you today, we have raised up a company of preachers and ministers that know how to talk the Bible but not live the Bible. We raved up a company of believers and even preachers that are theologically accurate but spiritually wrong. You can have a head full of information and a life devoid of reality, of impartation and transformation, and people can come and hear you speak, and they can, oh, that was a nice sermon. I don't want to hear that's a nice sermon. Was your life changed? Did demons leave you? Did the kingdom of God come in? We've had... Listen, we've had enough nice sermons. The nation is falling away more and more from God. We don't need another nice sermon. We need a Holy Ghost fire-filled sermon that expels demons and causes the kingdom of heaven to crash in on our nation. We don't need just things that sound nice and look nice. We need people that have met God. Until you've met God, you don't have the authority to change a nation. Many people are living in the memory of an encounter, not the reality of today's fire. So they talk out of something they experienced some time ago, but not now. Are you encountering God now, or did you just encounter him years ago? 
Because God has something to say today. Do you realize Abraham would have killed Isaac if he didn't carry on listening to God? God said, kill him, and then God says, stop. How about the fact that, do you realize the, the right word from God in the wrong season can be disastrous? So it's not just having heard. Faith comes by hearing right now. So there is a, um, a calling. There is a demand heaven places on us to be living in the current tense relationship of God where we're able to discern what his heart is. Peter was in a place where he could receive revelation from God and yes, he was able to articulate and Jesus acknowledged that that was straight from the Father. If you're a born-again Christian in this room, you have the spiritual um, uh, tools to receive revelation from God. You might know, I don't think I hear from God. Well, there's no way you'll be saved without hearing God's voice. It might not have been an audible voice, but the Spirit drew you. You felt something in your heart. That is God. So in, you have the capacity to receive from God. But are you living from that place? Or are you just living from sermon to sermon, from Sunday to Sunday, from service to service? And then maybe you're like this. You go to church and you say things like, oh, I wasn't being... Uh, maybe you're tired at church and you say things like, I'm not being fed. Have you ever heard that? I'm not being fed? <laughs> Today's the last day you ever say that. <laughs> I've got a three-year-old and she can, feel her se she can feed herself. What do you mean you're not being fed? Have you lost your Bible? What do you mean you're not being fed? Have you lost your worship life, your prayer life? Because if you've been a Christian for, I don't even know how long, a few months, you should start to be able to feed yourself. Many Christians just depend on the preacher to preach them a nice message, the worship leader to lead them into the presence of God, but they don't take on any personal responsibility to seek God for themselves. And God is shifting things. We're moving from the day where it's all about poopy ministry to the day where it's all about the saints rising up and doing the work of the ministry. So Peter, uh, Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father is in heaven. Then Jesus says this, and I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. This is kind of like the foundation of where I'm going. Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church. That's the first time we hear the word church, and that word church there is ecclesia. And actually, my focus this morning is not to break that down, but there is a deep revelation in what church meant to Jesus compared to what we think of church today. When the Romans conquered, conquered a territory, they would send the ecclesia, like a governing body, to go to that territory to make that territory look like Rome. And that governing body infiltrated all, all the spheres of society, and they had authority to almost colonize the culture to make it look like where they came from. That was the ecclesia. So it wasn't just a nice group of people meeting to sing songs and have a nice time. They had influence over the regions they were sent into. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, yes, we're going to gather like this, but he has something else in mind. In Jesus' mind, the church is meant to infiltrate and impact society. A boat will remain on water as long as the water does not get in. Christians are not impacting the world like we should many times because we are becoming like the world we're called to impact. 
We're adopting the world's language, the world's cultures. We're watching the same movies the, the world's watching. We're dressing just like the world. Our actions and our behavior, no one can tell a difference that whether we're believers or not. So we cannot impact the world because the people of God who become of the world while in the world lose their authority to change the world. We cannot change the world for God if we look like the world in our lifestyles and our cultures. Newsflash, God is concerned about what you watch. God is concerned about what you listen to. God is concerned about how you spend your money. I'm, I'm sure you've prayed the prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come. Lord, let your will be done. It's a nice prayer to pray, but the reality is hard. Because if God's kingdom is going to come, it means his government is coming. Are you under the government of God? Because if you're under the government of God, that means he's determining how you live your life. You can't just go wherever you want. You can't just do whatever. You can't just date wherever you want. When you're under the government, he determines how you spend your time and energy. But many Christians like the theological idea of let your kingdom come, but they don't understand that that brings demands and responsibilities. In heaven, the will of God is done without resistance. Zero resistance. And by the way, the angels are not robots. They have a will. Satan is proof of that. So if in heaven the will of God is done, and now here we're in the church and we're in Derby and we're in the United Kingdom praying, Lord, let your kingdom come in the nation. Why would his kingdom come in the nation through us if his will is not being done in us? We, we lose the authority to affect change out there if it's not starting in here, aligning with God. So Jesus says, I'll build my church. Now, the church more than ever is growing, in quotes. Numbers are gathering. I want to help you see that the fact that large numbers of people are gathering for a church service does not mean Jesus is building the church. You could have people gathering and the church is not being built. Because when Jesus said he would build his church, he had a mindset of what church meant. Today, we can have great church and great numbers without the Holy Spirit. We can use our marketing skills, our musical skills, our speaking skills, our oratory ability to draw a crowd. The fact that the crowd is being drawn does not mean the church is being built. So oftentimes we look at the numbers and think we're doing good, but actually we just got a bunch of people living a compromised life who are not actually part of the army of God. And when, in t when the pressure starts to mount and things start to get difficult, and by the way, it is going to get more difficult and challenging, when the pressure starts to mount, you start to see people falling away because they were never built for war. They were never built to really be the church. The real church does not back out in the face of pressure. Okay, let me give an example. Even though this is an Old Testament scripture, for me, it captures something of the DNA that I believe the Lord is wanting the church in today's world to kind of capture. The three Hebrew boys, they were thrown into the fire, right? Because they didn't want to bow. Now, this is what they said. They said, God is able to deliver us. That, that's level one of faith. It's a generalized kind of faith. Oh, we believe God. God, you're able. We sing about it. God, you're able. You're able. We know you have the power. You're able. That's great. But then they took it to step two. God is able. 
It's not just able, but he will deliver us. So they took the generalized faith, and then they made it personal. God is going to, de- that, you know, that's another level. Because now they didn't just think it could happen to someone out there. They said he will deliver us. But the third level is the level that I believe the Western church needs to grapple with right now. They said, even if he doesn't. So in their faith, they made a provision for God not showing up. And in the scenario when God doesn't show up, they decided they will not bow to the system. Do you understand how deep that sort of faith is? The devil does not know what to do with that. So many Christians get offended at God because oftentimes they come to God in such a way that God is like their vending machine. Give me, give me, give me. In fact, that's why many people struggle with prayer, because as far as they're concerned, prayer is a way to get God to do something for them. Prayer is a means to an end. I want to announce to you, God does not exist for you. You exist for him. Prayer is no way to get God to do what you want him to do. Prayer is an end in and of itself. Are you hearing me? You don't pray just because you want to get something. If that is where your prayer life is at, your prayer life is never going to mature and grow. It's just like a baby. I mean, many of us are parents in this room. If your child is two years old and they're coming to you and asking for stuff, you expect them to have a certain level of emotional maturity. By the time they're 10 years old, you expect them to relate with you differently than a two-year-old. It's sad to say many of us are like 10, 15 years old in Christ, but we're still acting like two years old. Because the content of our communication with the Father is proof of our spiritual immaturity. We're still thinking about, all, all my three, uh, my nine-month-old baby, all she thinks about is her. She doesn't care that I got home at midnight. She's going to cry if it's 3 a.m. If she's hungry, it don't, she doesn't care about, if I've had two hours sleep. There was a season where I was surviving on two, three, four hours sleep. I just got used to it. But she doesn't care about that, does she? But thank God the nine-year-old doesn't do that. And if he did, he'll be getting some lessons. That's the no, no, no. <laughs> you go to bed and you sleep, and you wake up the next morning. What's stopping from? See, so you got to understand that as you mature in God, your conversation changes. The conversation I'm having with my nine-year-old completely different to the conversation I'm having with my three-year-old. What is the content of your prayer life? Can we examine it? What have you been praying about? Because maybe we can get an insight into where you are in your journey with God. Many Christians are not maturing. They're the same yesterday, today, and forever. (laughs) Are you a wine Christian or are you a milk Christian? Milk gets worse with time. Wine gets better with time. Many Christians are milk Christians and not wine Christians because they've been Christians for 15 years and they've got the worst attitude They've been Christian for 20 years, and you can't tell because their character has not changed. They're just as mean as they've always been. You know what I ask my wife sometimes? I say with my wife, as painful as this is, I think spouses should do this. I say to my wife, Rebecca, what are the areas of immaturity in my life? (laughs) Because if God is changing me, my wife should know. If I am really encountering God, my character should change. I'm not satisfied with just preaching a nice message and going to church and lifting my hands and saying praise God and even being slain in the spirit but getting up the same. You went down the same. You got up the same. You went down with unforgiveness. You got up unforgiveness. You went down mean. You got up mean. So what sort of Holy Spirit are you encountering if he's not changing you? 
Are you satisfied with just cultural Christianity or tame Christianity? Or are you realizing that this is not what the scriptures talk about when we read in the book of Acts, how the church lived? I am dissatisfied with the status quo. And I'm saying, Lord, everything you intended for the church to be, everything you intended for us to be, I want to be it. And I want to pursue you with everything. Jesus said he will build the church. The church he's talking about building, you read Isaiah 56, 7, and he says this, my house will be called a house of prayer. Then Jesus comes in the New Testament, well, you know, when he went to the temple, saw them buying and selling. You know the story. Jesus made a whip. Jesus, make a mild Jesus. He made a whip. He's flipping tables. Sometimes we have a romanticized kind of wrong idea about who Jesus really is. He was fierce against the religious spirit. He came into the temple and was flipping tables. Doesn't Paul give us the revelation that this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? When Jesus comes into your temple, is he flipping tables? Re a revelation tells us, behold, I stand on the door and I knock. That scripture is written to a church. Why should Jesus be knocking at the door? Think about it. Why should Jesus be... <laughs> He, he's the head of the church. You know why he's knocking? No one gave him the keys. They ran church and had services and just worked out their own ideas, not his ideas. So now he's locked out and he has to knock to come in. So I've started praying, Lord, don't knock to come in. I give you the keys. You own the whole house. Just go wherever you want. Flip whatever table you want to flip. 10,000 years from now, you're still going to exist. It's just a matter of where. Every human has eternity on their, written on their hearts. So even if you get to heaven, there are dimensions of reward in heaven. Read Revelation. So I don't just want to get to heaven. I want to live the fullness of God's calling on my life on earth. Because this 80, 90 years you live on earth, however long you live on earth, is like an internship for eternity. So how you live right now is going to impact then. So I'm saying, Lord, shock me now, please. Shock me with, shock me with the reality of selfishness that's in me. I don't know if it's there. Shock me now, please. Don't shock me on the day of judgment when it's too late. Some of you need to say, Lord, shock me now with all the things in my heart. I don't even Some of you are in this room right now. You, you have no idea the level of wickedness in your heart. Didn't David pray Psalm 139? Test me. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Do you know what he means? Praise. And Lord, see if there's any wicked way in me. Why did David pray that? Because he was aware you could have wickedness in you and not know it. Because the situations to manifest that wickedness in your life are yet to... Um, are, you, let me say it this way. The situations to expose the wickedness in your heart has not yet come about. 
So you don't even know what's there because the situations to expose it have not happened yet. So how are you going to know what's there? That's why you need to say, God, shock me now, please. Lord, if there's deep lust, if there's deep selfishness and bitterness and all this envy, selfish ambition, Lord, shock me now so that you can truly entrust me with the riches of your kingdom. When Jesus said he will build his church, the DNA of that church is a house of prayer. Jesus did not say, my house will be called a house of preaching. Jesus did not say, my house will be called a house of prophecy. Jesus did not say, my house will be called a house of worship. Listen, all those things are good, but I've noticed these days when we have prayer meetings, oh, we're going to pray for an hour. You know what I've noticed? We sing for 55 minutes and pray for five. So people have used singing to replace prayer. I'm not saying it's wrong to worship. In fact, worship and prayer are two sides of the same coin. But oftentimes, we use these external props to cover up our spiritual bankruptcy. Apostle Paul did not have an iPod or an iPhone in his prison cell to listen to elevation music, Bethel music. But he had a deeper walk with God than many of us do right now. So he had no external props. I want to challenge you, strip all the external props away and let's see what's really left in you. If you are locked up in a prison cell right now, what's going to be left of your faith with God? How deep are you going to be? Sometimes we don't realize we are living in a shallow place. See, the Bible says deep calls unto deep, right? Shallow calls unto shallow. Many Christians live in a place where they, their friends are shallow, their Christian friends are shallow, everything around them is shallow, so they never go to anything deep in God. And then when they meet someone that's going to the deep place, that person is the weird one. What is meant to be normal is be made abnormal. And what is meant to be abnormal is be made normal. The early church were a house of prayer. It was not unusual for them to pray through the night. It was not unusual for the early church to pray for six, seven hours. We have prayer meetings. The prayer meeting is meant to be for an hour, but the person leading the prayer meeting preaches for 45 minutes, and the last 15 minutes is on wimpish prayers to cover up the fact that there is no prayer muscle. But Jesus says his house will be a house of prayer. It didn't say a house of preaching. So Christians are not being trained to fight in the place of prayer, so many of them are spiritual weaklings. The corporate prayer meeting struggles because the private prayer place is non-existent. We will not be an army if you are not a soldier. If you don't know how to pray on your own, how are we going to have a powerful prayer meeting when we come together? Because you don't pray at home. You only pray when you're in trouble. You only pray when life gets difficult. So your prayer life is crisis-driven. The early church were not crisis-driven. In fact, for the burden of the early church, they had to pray... Jesus said to them in Acts 1, he says, wait for the promise. And their interpretation of wait was this, pray until. So their prayer meeting had a start time, but no end time. When was the last time we went to a prayer meeting that had a start time and no end time? They were going to stop. In fact, they didn't stop at all. Even after the Holy Spirit came, they still kept praying. So when they started that prayer meeting, they knew, Lord, we, we are sentenced to a life of prayer never to recover again. They gave themselves to that life. So, Jesus says he will build this church. That church has a DNA of a house of prayer. That church has a DNA of fasting. That church has a DNA of holiness. 
The message of holiness may not draw a crowd, but that message will ultimately build the end-time army of God. With the amount of perversion in the church, in the world, stepping into the church right now, there is no way we're going to host the move of God without radical holiness. That added with deep, consistent prayer. That added with fasting. The purpose of me talking this intensely is to wake you up. Because many of you, you don't know you're asleep until you wake up. And my ministry in the body of Christ right now is like an alarm clock. I am an al- I'm a physical alarm clock saying, wake up, church. There is too much at stake for you to be bored. See, you're bored spiritually and you're not engaging with God. It's probably a sign that you have subscribed to the wrong version of Christianity. God is not boring. You are boring. <laughs> Next time, listen, better... As one says to you, I said, next time I'm going to pray or you're going to pray, there are times where I find prayer boring, but I know that it's my flesh reacting. I've done this long enough to know the flesh fights spiritual progress. Everything that's beneficial for your spiritual progress, your flesh will fight the most. So when I'm feeling bored and it's time to pray, it's not God that's boring. I'm dealing with my flesh. But many Christians just stay there and go, you know what? I guess this prayer thing, is, you know, it's for Pastor Alex. It's, you know, it's for cheap, you know, it's for all these, you know, people cheaper. They're going to do all the prayer. So, you know, my bed is calling me right now. I'm just going to sleep. And I'll let all the pastors do all my prayer for me. And this is the problem. You think there is such a thing as a gift of prayer. All through Scripture, there's no such thing as a gift of prayer or a gift of intercession. Because the moment you think I've got the gift and you don't, you're going to want to outsource your prayer life to me. Oh, James, you like to pray? Oh, send your prayer requests on Facebook, on Instagram. Pray for me, pray for me. Well, you better pray for yourself. You better learn how to get up and begin to pray. If you don't learn how to pray spiritually, you will not make any progress. You're going to come to church. In fact, sermons don't change you. I tell you what changes you. When you begin to have face time with God, you are changed from the inside out. The messages you receive, you need to take them into your prayer closet and begin to engage with God. That is where change happens. These days, we've put all the emphasis on the preaching. Thank God for the preaching. In fact, I guarantee you today, we have better preachers in England and America and the nations of the earth than that would out-preach Apostle Peter any day. Great oratory skills, and we value people that can speak well and can talk well. The fact that someone can speak well and can even teach well the Bible does not mean they know God. Listen, the anointing of God on your life is not a sign of his approval of your behavior. You can be anointed and stupid. Anointing does not, the fact that you can move and sing and worship and, and preach does not mean anything. You could be doing all these things. In fact, your ministry could be growing to the masses while your heart is shrinking towards God. And everyone over here is applauding you, but heaven is grieving because you've disconnected from heaven's heart. I, I, I don't know if you realize God is more concerned about the unseen than all the stuff we've done on the outside. And the church is struggling in prayer this day because many of us don't have much depth outside of this context. In our deep devotion and consecration and intercession in the secret place. Many of us don't have deep, many of us don't have depth in that place. That is why the prayer, the public prayer often struggles. 
And I believe the Lord is wanting to shift that. He said he will build his church. So, thank you, thank you. It's getting intense up in here. I told you it was going to get intense, didn't I? So he said he will build his church. Think about it. The early church started with fasting and prayer. Jesus was a man of fasting and prayer. Church history tells us, even the church, there was an intensity of devotion in fasting and prayer. So when we look at how the church grew in the book of Acts, prayer, fasting, devotion, communion, it was a key part of their growth. Today, we want to have church seminars to work out church growth. So listen to me. If we can see that our forefathers in scriptures, Jesus, the apostles, the early church, they had a life of prayer and fasting, and that was at the bedrock of their growth. However, today, we seem to have growth without that bedrock of prayer and fasting. Listen, if your ministry is growing or your business is growing and you're a believer, and prayer and fasting and holiness is not at the core of that growth, something else apart from the Holy Ghost is sponsoring your growth. <laughs> for many Christians, the things that you pray for right now, the devil can give it to you. A lot of the things that many Christians pray for, the devil can give it to you. So how are you going to know the difference if the devil is the one that sent you that boyfriend? How are you going to know the difference if, if it's the devil that sent you that business so that you're distracted? How are you going to? Because oftentimes we idolize the giftings and we idolize the breakthrough itself. And it's not that we don't, it's not that I don't want breakthrough, but if our goal is not Jesus, then the very thing we're seeking can become the thing that brings our destruction. The church growth, in quotes, as a pastor, I'm a, I'm a teaching, by the way, I'm part of a local church in Manchester, so I'm a teaching pastor there. The church growth that we are seeking, that very church growth could become our destruction. If our anchor is not being Jesus from start to finish, if he is not satisfying us, and church growth is what's going to satisfy us, that thing that's going to satisfy us would end up destroying us. So if we examine the churches in the UK right now, and we cannot see prayer, deep devotion, and we cannot see fasting, and we cannot see holiness, my question to you is, is the Lord building that church? Because the church that he is building is going to have his DNA. Now, he says he will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail, meaning the gates of hell will prevail against the church he is not building. The gates of hell will prevail against the church that Jesus is not building. You know, I found that scripture in Hebrews that actually blew my mind. In Hebrews 12, and some of you know this scripture, it's where it talks about we've come to Mount Zion. Hebrews 12, uh, what's it, 22? But you've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, we read on, and then it says, um, and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven to God. You know what that made me realize? Heaven has a registry for church. Is it possible that a church could exist on earth that's not in heaven's registry? Pastor, is your church in heaven's registry? Because to be in heaven's registry, you have to have 
the founder, Jesus. You have to have his DNA. And the way the apostles were building the church was according to the pattern that Jesus gave them. How are you building? How, how, uh, how is your church progressing? Is it according to leadership seminars, management skills, social media skills, video skills, and all the prisons? Now, there's nothing wrong with all that stuff, but is that the bedrock of your focus? And then you just prepare sermons and sermons and you just copy and paste. Is that the bedrock of your progress? Or is it, is it embracing the agony of prayer, the discomfort, even the place of boredom? Listen to this. You have to embrace boredom as a pathway to encounter. So if you're feeling bored, don't think that's the end of it. Stay there. The other day my son was saying, oh, Dad, I'm bored. I said, good. My job is not to give you video games and TV and iPad. To, I can't keep entertaining you all the time. You have to learn how to steal with that boredom. And then you know what he came out and said a while later after that? When a live stream moment, and I didn't know I was going to say this, he says, he was saying to everyone watching young people, it was eight years old at the time, he says, the more entertained you are in the flesh, the more bored you are in the spirit. At eight years old, he said that. And then he says, we're in the battle of the altars. He says, if you're not praying, your altar is dead. I'm like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so there's sometimes where I can see he's playing his game. I'm like, just this, you're, too, you're, you're, you're spending too much time on this right now. You're more entertained in the flesh. We need to put these things aside. Let's pray. At eight years old and at nine years old, he can pray with me in tongues for an hour. See, you see how the world is going right now? They, they have an ag agenda to indoctrinate our children with antichrist ideologies. So you better don't just bring your children to church and wait for the Sunday school teacher to teach them Christian stuff and that's all they have. <laughs> because that is not going to sustain them and that's not going to build up warriors for the days ahead. You have to find your own curriculum at home of how, by the grace of God, you're going to raise up your children to be warriors, to learn how to pray, to learn how to seek God, even in the midst of the distractions. You know, we call it ADHD, all this stuff. We name, we have all these labels. Whatever the condition is, you need God's wisdom as to how to raise your children so that they come out as warriors and as agents of transformation in this culture. I'm not saying it's easy. And by the way, if you're a parent and you're feeling guilty right now, my son Justice is also very naughty. <laughs> just to be transparent, just literally two weeks ago, we banned him for all video games and all games. We say no more games, no more games, because we noticed the more he played games, the worse his behavior got. You have to train up children in the way they should go. You can't just let them have whatever they want to have, because Shall I go further? <laughs> I don't know if you realize that demons are real, right? Angels are real. And uh, the times you cast out demons. You don't, you don't negotiate with demons. You don't make them a cup of tea. And you don't counsel demons. You cast them out. Especially when they come against things God's called you to do and they get in the way. You cast them out. So one of those days we're doing that with someone that was, you know, just having this experience. And so they were manifesting this demonic spirit. And this spirit was talking through them. And so we were dealing with this situation and praying over this person. Out of nowhere, they start to say, the demon, through the person says, I hate justice. <laughs> so that's my son, justice. You know, and they went on about how, you know, hate all this press stuff that he's doing. And I'm thinking, that is so random and that's so concerning. <laughs> but at the same time, exciting. So I went on my set to justice. I said, justice, 
Demons know your name. <laughs> so we're going to train you to be a warrior and strong in spirit. There is no way I can be hearing someone say that under demonic possession and put you in front of the TV all day, every day. When I'm praying, if you're awake, you're going to come and join me and we're going to pray. Because I'm going to make sure you're indoctrinated into the life of prayer. It's going to be part of who you are. You can't get away from it. Because the enemy, the world, they are indoctrinating the world with filth and darkness. And I'm going to make sure my children are raised up. In, I didn't know why I'm going on this line. I didn't plan to say all this stuff. My children are raised up in the ways of the Lord. Now my time is up. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail. If you're a leader in this place, you need to ask yourself, is the Lord truly building my church? Or am I just stuck on external things? If you read Acts 6-4, you'll see that the disciples truly understood what Jesus had taught them. Jesus lived on earth for 33 and a half years. For 30 years, he prepared for ministry. For three and a half years, he did ministry. And for over 2,000 years, he has been interceding. So let's just map it out. 30 years preparation, three and a half years ministration, over 2,000 years intercession. Holy Spirit intercedes. Two-thirds of the Godhead intercede. How can you tell me intercession is for some old lady at the back of the church that has nothing else to do? When God himself does it. The heaviest molecule or at least one of the heaviest molecules of the Christian faith has to be prayer, intercession, because God himself has given himself to that life. You were called to be a VIP. You know what that means? A voice of intercession and prayer. Tonight, or this morning, it's time to shake off the complacency. Some of you are going to go home and say, Lord, you're going to dust off your press and say, Lord, I'm back. <laughs> I got distracted with Netflix and Disney Plus. Lord, I'm back. Some of you are going to leave this place and you're like, Lord, I've been praying, boy. It's been so shallow. I'm choosing to wake up early or maybe stay up late, whatever works, whatever you feel the Lord's stirring you to do. Lord, I'm wanting to step into the place of consistency. You know, if Jesus is going to build this church, it's like going to the gym. You don't build muscle without resistance. So if he's going to build a church, the church is going to go through some training. And that looks like circumstances that don't feel good because he's building muscle. But many of us just give up easy. We think, oh, yeah, I've become a Christian. God loves me, and life is meant to be just nice and easy and no challenges. No, read the scriptures. You see, none of the apostles had it easy. Jesus didn't have it easy. So why do you think you're going to have it easy? He's going to train us to be warriors because we're in an end-time battle. Do you understand with me? Let's pray. See, I've just been sweating all over this platform. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> oh, Lord, oh, Lord. Listen, this is very simple. It's a burden on my heart that the true church will begin to arise. The true church that's given to prayer, fasting, holiness, seeking God, not conform to the systems of the world, raising up warrior children, the true church will begin to arise. And this word is for many of you in this room, not just pastors, but believers, where your spiritual life has plateaued, like you're not progressing, you're just stuck. 
So if you want to respond to this word in any sort of way, I want you to just lift your hands and just, we're going to pray together right now. And we're going to ask the Lord to do a deep work in us that we will be sentenced to a life of prayer and intercession, even when it feels difficult, that we're not going to give up because we're not feeling the breakthrough in the moment. But we're going to give ourselves, like the apostles did, to prayer, to fasting, to seeking the Lord. <laughs> Father, as we lift our hands to you right now, we acknowledge that we've been distracted. We acknowledge that our priorities have been wrong. We acknowledge that the enemy has come in and sometimes even brought deception. So, Father, we ask that you will shock us now. Expose things that we have come into agreement with that's of the enemy. Expose deception. Cause us to come into alignment with the spirit of truth. I thank you that, Lord, it's by your Spirit alone that we can even do this. For it takes God to love God. It is you that works in us to will and to do according to your good purpose. So, Father, we say, have your way, Jesus. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in us. Shape and mold us. We ask that you begin to cause us to truly be the house of prayer, that this temple, this vessel, will be a house of prayer, God. And that the church, the collective body, the ecclesia, will truly be a house of prayer. Lord, I ask that for pastors and leaders in this room, you begin to give them revelation, insight, even as to how to restructure things with how they do church, to emphasize this idea right here, being a house of prayer. Thank you for grace. Thank you for wisdom. I just want to pray as well, Lord, every addiction every demonic oppression on anyone in this room that's been limiting their engagement with you, whether it's from pornography to depression to all forms of just bitterness and all things like just locked up in their hearts or just weighing on their emotions, right now I take a stand against every work of darkness. And I declare in the name of Jesus that every spirit of perversion loses its hold on anyone in this room right now that's struggling with all forms of perversion. For Christ came that we may live in freedom, and free indeed, free in our actions. So I speak freedom over every person here right now in the name of Jesus. Freedom from pornography, freedom from sexual perversion, freedom from alcohol addictions, freedom from addiction to entertainment, freedom from all forms of bitterness and unforgiveness and all kinds of ill emotions. We let go of that right now, Father, and we receive your spirit of life the Spirit that helps us to pray, for we don't even know how to do this without your Holy Spirit. So have your way in us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.